Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley here for the Talk and Footy episode of the week. Talk and Footy episode number 16 for the year. Can't wait to get into some rugby league talk. And to do that, we've got Matty Person back on board. Perso, welcome back to the podcast, mate. A lot's happened the last couple of weeks since you've been gone. Yeah, never a dull moment in the NRL. Getting towards the pointy end of the season now too. So the ladder's starting to take a bit of shape. What we might be looking for for the semis, but on and off the field, still plenty happening. Lots happening indeed. So, I mean, let's start off with that. For, for, before we do, for anyone that's listening, we do have the Super Coach episodes every week. So make sure you tune into those. They normally hit on a Wednesday after we record them on a Tuesday night for all your Super Coach needs. Head to head finals this week. So it's a big time in Super Coach. But talking footy, just all about rugby league. So before we do get stuck into it, you all would have heard the ad at the start of the podcast for Pickle Bet. Picklebet, fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast this year. Absolutely love having them on board. They've got some great promos at the moment. So I do need to mention, you would have heard them talking about all the same-game multis and stuff in the advertisement. If you're going to go and create an account today, make sure that you use our referral code. It's also called affiliate code when you sign up. It's All-Stars, all one word. If you just plug in All-Stars when you sign up for an account today, they'll know that you're one of our listeners and take fantastic care of you. So just where it says affiliate code, make sure you plug in All-Stars and then just hit apply and that'll be it you'll be up and running with Picklebet and you can have a look but the promo they've got this week they've had it a few times and it's really good it's going to be the double chance first try scorer promotion so what that means is that if you bet on first try scorer under this promo and your first try scorer selection comes in second they'll pay you out as a winner that is phenomenal. It is only on selected games. So for this week, it's Storm vs. Panthers game. So if you want to have a crack at someone like Brian Toto and he doesn't come in first, but then he scores the second try of the game, you're going to get paid out as a winner anyway. So it is a fantastic promotion. Go on picklebet.com and have a look. We do also have the NRL All-Stars podcast, Bet of the Week. That's under the Thursday night first game of the round, the Roosters vs. the Manly Seagulls. You can find that under Outrights. And for this week... We've got a $5.25 odds one, and this one is huge value, I reckon. Yes, some people will say it's Roosters bias, but you know what? At this time of year, you just need to have some fun. And I want to have some fun supporting my team, because I haven't supported them much this year, because they've been hopeless. So, Sydney Roosters, for the win. Daniel Tupo, anytime try. James Tedesco, anytime try. Most of the Roosters' wins when those two blokes have played, they've been scoring tries. Teddy has scored a million tries in the last couple of months for the Roosters himself. So that one there will pay you $5.25. That is tremendous odds on a same-game multi. So that's my one for the week for the All-Stars podcast. But go and have a look at all the same-game multis because they've got fantastic ones on Picklebet. Picklebet.com, All-Stars is your promo affiliate code. Go and have a look and get on them today. Always think is this a bet that you really want to place. For free and confidential support, you can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. And to start off with, we are going to talk about... 
the last couple of weeks at footy, particularly last round. Um, Perso, a lot happening at the moment from round 22 onwards. It was a round where I think a lot of teams are either starting to separate themselves from the pack a little bit or are all of a sudden on the home stretch starting to fall away. And we saw that in some of the results. The Broncos 32, the Roosters 10. Uh, I'm going to be what will be labelled a, a super biased supporter in this. So it's um, it's hard for me to talk about. The Broncos won comprehensively 32 to 10. So I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, anything would have stopped that from happening. I went into this game as a Roosters fan, fairly buoyed by the way they played. And I, I'm sure that a lot of people will reference the Gold Coast Titans win the week before where they were up 30 nil at the half and looked sensational. And there was a lot to like about that game. But I actually think they played pretty good for a month. I think they've sort of gotten a bit of a bad rap. They had the manly game. They lost by two points where I thought they were the better side, probably the best football they played all year. I don't think they played terrible the last month of footy. So I sort of went in thinking that they might actually give the, the Broncos a bit of a scare. The week before, the Broncos themselves won 36 to 20 over South Sydney. But it was one of those ones where they sort of came home in the end, certainly in the second half um, before that, Souths were right on top of them. And I didn't think either side looked great in that. So I had a little bit of confidence per se. Now, obviously the scoreline says that they, you know, they got walloped by 22 points. I have not made an excuse for the Roosters all year in any of their games. I've said with all their losses, they deserve to lose them aside from that manly one where I thought, you know, it could have gone either way. All the other ones, it was like, well, Roosters weren't any good. They deserve to lose uh, this one. I am actually going to whinge about it. I actually thought that the the refereeing was was pretty atrocious in this one. And I don't mean to just do it on the Roosters game. There's been a number of refereeing performances, especially in the last four weeks, that I think have been really wanting and decisions that have been pretty bad. In this one, in the first half, there was a gazillion six agains for the Broncos. And it was just, there was a, a multitude of calls where it was just, I don't understand what is going on here. It is just terrible. And one of them was a Tedesco try that got pulled back where you've got a player in Adam Reynolds that goes and looks for a lead runner and jumps into him, even though the lead runner actually pulled back and tries not to go into the line because he's obviously stopping and wants to backpedal. And Adam Reynolds runs after him and actually launches himself at him. That's a fair try. And that pulls it down to 14 to six at the time. Yeah, I'm just going to pass over to you here because I was really at a loss with this game. How did you kind of see it, and especially those type of decisions that we saw? Yeah, the Broncos received a couple of those too, didn't they? The refing was pretty ordinary in that game altogether. Katani Stags try off the kick was a try too, I reckon. But anyway, um, yeah, they just fell away. It took us in the second half. I mean, the 66% completion rate, you're not winning many games at that, are you? So, um, I, I thought that was going to be a lot better of a game than it was. But um, how much do the officials have to do with the tempo of the game? I'm not sure. I think the Broncos are far too good myself. But yeah, that might be the end of your chooks, I think, Marty. Yeah, I think the the um, the odds are they have to they have to win every game, and they need some results to go their way, um, even if they win every game. The thing is, they do have the draw to actually do a pretty good shake of it, uh, especially the next couple of weeks. They can probably get some. Confidence on the board versus the Dolphins and the Tigers. If they turn up, they should win those those couple of games. Uh, sorry, Manly uh, and the Dolphins, I should say. And they've got the Tigers later on in round 26. So that's three games against non-top eight teams that they have the ability to win. Uh, another, the other couple are a bit harder. 
but it'll be interesting what they actually do and how their season goes. I, I, I haven't credited the Broncos in my initial thoughts about the game. The second half, the Broncos were far better. Um, I, I guess I was a bit salty in the second half because the Roosters were a lot of the errors and stuff and missed tackles were, were happening in the second half. And, and the Roosters just to me were out of gas and were also to- totally chasing at that point. Um, Cause once it got up to 20 plus, they, they just started chasing and they kind of had to, and I thought they were pretty tired. And that happens in the second half. You start making mistakes. You miss 44 tackles across the game. A higher percentage of those were in the second half as well. And you just fall off. So credit to the Broncos for the second half. They went on with it and absolutely drilled the Roosters. Uh, and they did it when someone like Reese Walsh didn't have a great game. He had a couple of errors where he threw the ball over the sideline. Um, and he didn't play particularly well. Adam Reynolds did well to steer the ship in the second half. He had a couple of tries and a couple of line breaks. Um, but, yeah, I, I also thought the Fords too. I mean, Haas did what Haas does. You don't really talk about, you know, 16 hit-ups and a couple of offloads in the manner that he did it with all the metres. But Carrigan has really, for me, the last month gone back into post-origin form and, and really helped the Broncos. He actually started on edge in this one, I think, and he had 15 runs. Uh, his first try in the NRL with his line break and three offloads as well. So, I mean, that was a big moment for for Big Paddy getting across the line for the try. Yeah, I still, it's hard to believe he hadn't scored one prior to that. It popped up a couple of weeks ago that he hadn't scored. I'm sure he would have crashed over once or twice, Paddy. But, um, yeah, his form's been outstanding. The whole pack for the Broncos, much improved. They've definitely learnt on um, what happened to them last season, another year mature. Well, they capitulated last year, and then they've obviously worked on that in the off-season. They look like they're just getting stronger, if anything. So I think they're a genuine top-four chance this year. Yeah, they definitely are. Where their position now, it's going to be hard for them not to be in the top four uh, with how it's going. It's it's one of those things too where I think that um, the Broncos side last year obviously fell away, uh, and this side isn't. They're still they're still going, and it's a game where they can afford to have a Reese Walsh not play very well, and they're still going to kill it. So credit to the Broncos, uh, they are going to be top four. Um, they're going to be a premiership force. Unfortunate for the Roosters. It's going to be interesting to see how both teams finish this off, though, because the Broncos really should continue on with it and be an easy top four. But uh, I'm sure Broncos fans are looking at it per se, going, we can be number one. We can take out the minor premiership this year. Yeah, they'd be a fair chance of that. That's for sure. Um, come semi-finals time will be the real test for them, and they've got to play three top sides in a row. Whether they're going to have enough to sort of beat the Panthers, I'm not sure, but they'll give it a good rattle. The next game after this one, we had the Friday night double, the, the um, r- Tigers for you against South Sydney. I Body Tigers wrapped up the spoon. They wrapped it up, but they, they wrapped it up. You know, they, they even almost couldn't come through with wrapping that up per se. <laughs> they, <laughs> they were almost winning. Uh, I think they were down two points with about 15 to go. And then South just went bang and scored back-to-back converted tries uh, to put them away. So it was... At least a spirited effort from your Tigers. I thought that Souths looked a bit flat. It was the return of Latrell Mitchell in this one. And to me, it was a bit of a mixed bag for him. It was, he had some really good runs where he looked like he was going to go through and he's going to throw guys off him and stuff, but he didn't quite get there. And I, I actually, I mentioned it on the Supercoach podcast. So I'm interested to hear your opinion. I heard the commentators for Fox say, oh, he looks really good. He looks fit. 
And I actually thought the opposite. I thought he looks like yeah. he's he's carrying three or four kilos here at least, and he looks unfit. And to me, it looked like a few of those runs he would have actually made a line break if he was fit. And it's not having a go at Latrell. He hasn't been able to run properly, and he's been off for twelve weeks with a calf injury. But I, I thought that he looked under, uh, and I thought that if that was a game that Latrell was playing, you know, round six, healthy he would have made probably three line breaks in that from some of those runs and scored a try and set up another couple. He, he was just a little bit off the pace, which you expect, but South themselves, I think have been a little disappointing of late. And in this game, obviously the Tigers really gave him a little bit of a scare where the Tigers could have gone on with this and won it the last 15 minutes. So it's good that they got Latrell back. They're going to have to integrate him back into the attack and he, he's going to need to get his fitness up, whether that happens this week or next or when it comes through. That's probably going to be the question out of this game. Yeah, I agree with Latrell. He's definitely short of a gallop, but um, had some key players in there at times, but he'll be better for the run, that's for sure. Looked like his car held up all right, so that's the main thing. After 12 weeks off, you want to hope it was right. Uh, I reckon that scoreline flat as a Tigers, to be honest, Barnsley. It was terrible that first half. We were lucky. We were look, 22 to 6 at half time. It was lucky it wasn't 30 to 6. They bombed a couple of tries. The bunnies and Latrell was kicking terribly. Good goal. So, to our credit, we fought back that first 20 minutes of the second half and showed a bit of fight, which is good to see for a change. The list didn't end up 66 0, but still a lot of work to do the Tigers. So, in this one, it was interesting. We had Brooks back for the Tigers. And you threw in Dane Laurie at six. Both those guys are going to be leaving. Um, so to me, I'm curious as to how the Tigers are going to play this out from now. Um, they've obviously gone in to try and win this game to avoid the spoon. That's probably not going to happen now. You know, how quickly do we see Brooks and Laurie out of the halves again? And we see some other people getting a bit of a chance and a bit of a run there because those are probably, I guess, your two halves per se that you wanted to put in for that game if you wanted to win it. But yeah, they're not going to be there next year. The problem is we've got no one else. The Brandon Wakeham's the other option and it looks like he's not going to get re-signed. There is young Josh Felity who's in the top 30. He's a 5'8 centre. They might decide to give him a run. I've noticed he's been on the extended bench the last couple of weeks. So possibly they might give him a run at some point over the last few rounds. We've just got that hearts at all. Biggest conundrum for me this week is there's no cricket or swimming to switch over to once the Tigers are getting flogged, so we're going to have to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in that one, South actually, like you, you mentioned that the scoreline flattered them, and I know what you mean because South definitely could have put it, really put it on them, but it just wasn't a good quality game nah. all around, particularly. I mean, South ended up missing five more tackles than what yeah, the Tigers did. A lot did. of errors. And, yeah, a lot of errors. I mean, and South had 56% possession as well, so you'd expect them to win by more than what they did too. But no, uh, we digress. Let's talk about another big win. The Storm versus the Eels, 46-16. to 16. This was an absolute carver. Yep. We had the the Eels scored in the fourth minute, and you sort of went, well, Russell's gone over. The Eels have got the, got the momentum here. They do have a good record playing against the top sides, including the Storm. So you sort of thought, oh, well, maybe this is going to be one of those ones where the Eels could upset them, or at least it's it's going to be competitive. And then the Storm just rattled off try after try after try. Uh, they scored three unanswered tries after that before Hopgood went over in the 32nd minute to give the Eels a bit of hope. But then right before half time, Ellie Katoa goes over. And it's it's a points-a-thon in the first half, which hasn't been the case when the Eels are sort of grinded away at the Storm in past matches together. Um, they've sort of grinded them down and it's been a little bit less scoring. 
So we go into the, the second half after that, and the storm just kept going. And it was just a bit of a, you know, how, how big can the storm really go? And 46 is quite a few points to put on the eels. I have to say, I thought that Jerome Hughes has had a down year. I don't think that he's played many particularly good games at all this year. That's probably, that could be the best game I've ever seen Jerome Hughes play for the Storm. He ended up with four tries, three line breaks himself, ran the ball 20 times, had four line break assists, and he just absolutely carved. He had zero errors and zero penalties conceded and kicked for almost 400 metres himself. He had almost a perfect game, Purser, and absolutely tore the Eels to shreds. I thought he was super, super impressive. Yeah, I agree, Barnes. He's, has, his form the last couple of seasons has been really good, really consistent week in, week out. This year, he hasn't been anywhere near his top, but that game, geez, he was unreal. But easily the best game he's played this year, if not one of the best he's ever played. He was outstanding, just in everything. It's um, it was a little bit surprised by the, the Eels just didn't have any answers. The last couple of seasons, they've Storm and Eels games have been absolute crackers and the Eels have got a pretty good record against them. So even though it was down there, I was expecting a bit more out of them than that. But Storm just put them to the sword. They certainly did. And a lot of people will point to the back line for the Eels. Uh, Wanga Blake's had his well-publicised issues. Uh, he's out of the side this week. They've got, obviously, the young guys like Sean Russell there because Sevo's out. Uh, Dylan Brown's been out of the halves. So we've got young Arcee. In the halves, but to me, I think it's the forwards that are the biggest problem for the Eels at the moment, and it's going to be interesting to see how Arthur actually handles it. They they absolutely smashed the middle. You had Harry Grant score two tries, and both those tries, one of them was just a front rower's suicide line, just running straight up off off Hughes, ten meters out, and just diving across the line. It was um it was a pretty bad middle performance for them. Paulo Barlow has been missing a few tackles in the middle, and he's looked slow. He looks fairly off the pace. Uh, We saw a bit of that at origin level as well. But then they're also starting Ogden, who can't really start for a top eight side, in my opinion. He's there for RCG, who they're going to miss as well. Cartwright's played well. They lost Sean Lane. Uh, He's out for pretty much the season now. Uh, And one of the things with Hopgood is that as good as he is, they play him so many minutes and rely on him so much per so he ends up playing 75 minutes in this and, and making 58 tackles. No one can question the work rate. In this one, he only missed a couple of tackles. But in other games, you'll see him miss five or six tackles at times. And it's you can't even really blame him because he just is so tired from having to make all these tackles and play all these minutes. Their bench towards is just non-existent. They just really don't provide them much of anything. So to me, I think it's their, it's their middle in particular They've lost Sean Lane off an edge as well, which is going to be hard for them. I, I'm not sure how they fix that because they seem to have a couple of ageing trips and a couple of guys that just aren't really up to it, coupled with no depth to allow guys like Hopkins to probably play less minutes. And the Storm, I think, targeted that a few times and they did it really well. Hughes turned back inside. And I don't see other teams not following that blueprint now. Yeah, it's sort of been the Achilles heel all season, isn't it? The couple of injuries in the forwards in the middle... Really, their bench, you look at the recent seasons, their bench has been fairly strong. They haven't been, had the luxury of being able to use Madison the way they did for most of the season. This week, he's gone back to the edge. We're all named at the edge, anyway. Uh, they're still missing RCGs another week away from that suspension. So They are very thin. They've been that way the whole season. I mean, I totally agree with Hopgood, even at the start of the season, when he was playing those couple of 80-minute games, he was too lucky. He played brilliantly 
scored a try and set up a try, but then like at the end he threw the the offload just in fatigue that was led straight to a try, and then the next week he missed the tackle directly led to a try as well, just from fatigue. So he's much more efficient if you can play him forward to play him at sixty minutes. So just don't have the depth to that at the moment. With the, like we said, the off of the Ogden and Luke already not really guys that are um, in Makaheshi Makatawa. I mean, they're not guys that other clubs would be screaming to get into their side and play on their bench. So they're very thin. And I do agree with Paulo. Paulo, we've had that discussion a couple of times this year, especially around Origin. It looks like the game's sort of starting to move past the big fella. He he reminds me of Papa Lee at Canberra, where, like, he's, he's still an NRL player, but you, yeah. you pretty much want to limit his minutes and put him off the bench. And that would work out perfectly. They just don't have the... Ability to do that, and Papa Lee's worked out well doing that at the Raiders. Uh, it's I, I'm I'm not a Joe O fan of Gowie. I've never hugely rated him, but I have to say I, I thought it was quite a good signing for them because I thought that he would be much better than what he has been, and he's been fairly invisible as well. So that probably hasn't helped. But I yeah. tell you what, everyone's talking about Payne Huss per so. Put big pain in this team. <laughs> that would make such a massive difference if yeah. they had any salary cap to sign Payne. It would absolutely be the best thing for the Eels and I reckon push, push them into being contenders straight away. Oh, you do that to a number of sides, a big pain. But yeah, he'd be a great fit for the Eels. Uh, Offer and Gowie, it was a strange one for me that Arthur's just playing him no minutes. I mean, he's 26 minutes again on the weekend when they're thin in the middle. He's, last season, he was one of the Tigers' best. It's probably the best season he ever had. He's easily playing 55 to 60 minutes in the middle and getting through a ton of work. Um, not sure what happened with the Tigers this year. He just fell out of favour and didn't get much of a run. So when he went to the Earls and then burned so thin in the middle, I thought that would be a good stopgap for him. But he's just not playing him any minutes, I don't know. Brad Arthur's rotation always confuses me. Well, there is a couple of things with that rotation um, with the minutes. Uh, the other guy that hasn't played huge minutes that you mentioned before was Madison. You know, Madison is one of those guys that is capable of playing 80 minutes and not hugely fatiguing. He's he's pretty good at that. He doesn't miss a huge amount of tackles and he's got a high work rate. He played 64 minutes this game against the Storm, but the week before he played 47, 48 minutes. And I don't understand how he can afford to play guys like Madison 47 minutes, uh, which has happened a couple of times. Unless there's some, unless he's not 100% right or something. Yeah, I don't know. Because last season he was playing 65 minutes off the bench most of the time. Yeah, and they've got to get back to that. You can't put those 20 minutes into anyone else at the moment because it's obviously a problem. And But I agree with you with Joe O too. Like, they're two guys that stick out like a sore thumb where it's like, well, surely Joe Offen, Gowie and Madison are playing more minutes to try and alleviate some of the pressure that they've got across the rest of their pack. Uh, the next game was the Newcastle Knights in red-hot form, 28-6 to six over the Raiders. This is one of those ones where you're tipping a person going, oh, look, you know, I'd normally tip the Knights, but because it's a GIS stadium at Canberra, it probably puts it Canberra's way. I don't actually know which way to go when you flip a coin for your footy tips and stuff because I didn't know what way this was going to go. And the Knights just came out, and Caelan Ponga scores the first try in the seventh minute, throws on another masterclass, and it's all the regulars that have just been in red-hot form. The big try scorers, big Greg Marzu took a heap of carries, got towards 20 carries for the game, heap of tackle bust, and then Dom Young just keeps finishing off tries as one of the leading try scorers in the NRL. And everyone just looked pretty much perfect. The Raiders didn't even get across the board until the 51st minute. It was uh, it was a pretty comprehensive victory. Uh, got guys like Gagai have really been in form as well. Uh, Lockie Fitzgibbon, even though he's leaving, has actually been in a pretty rich vein of form most of the year. And the last four weeks in particular, 
he's been going really well for them. Uh, it's it's all of a sudden you look at the Newcastle roster and go, in this game, you're looking at it going, well, I actually really like this team quite a bit. And if you looked at it in round one, you would have said, oh, they're not very good. You know, they've got a lot of guys that have really either stepped up to the form that they really should have or have shown in the past, like guys like Ponga and Best and Gagai, uh, and guys that are having career years like Marju and Dom Young among some of these forwards. And they're all of a sudden looking like they could give this top eight a bit of a shake after this win. Yeah, they're finally clicking there in their attack. The defence was impressive in this game too, which was good to see for the Knights. But um, a lot of it, Adam Elliott coming back might have, is making a massive difference through that middle too. But um, that left edge just looks unreal at the moment. And then every time they think they're going to swing it back that way, they tend to find a gap on the right. And they're going young combined. Young's a leading try scorer in the comp. So they're scoring points all over the park. Their middles are aiming up. Uh, it's that four in a row now. They've got a pretty soft draw coming up with the Dolphins and um, I think it's the Dolphins and Bulldogs or Dolphins and Tigers. One or two of the lesser sides. Anyway, the next two. Yeah, Dogs it is, I think. Dolphins. Yeah, and, Dolphins, Dogs. Dolphins, Dogs. So that's, this is the big test for the Knights because they've just come off beating Melbourne and Raiders. So you'd be expected to beat these next two. And that'll give them six in a row leading into the South game. So this, for mine, this is a test to see if they're, if they're kind of be able to make the eight and maybe do a bit of damage in the eight. If they win both of these games the next two weeks, as expected, then if they lose one of them and it's a, they play poorly, then that's a, sort of a sign that they're not quite there, isn't it? Yeah, I can't see them losing, to be honest. So these Not in the form they're in. Yeah, but... it's, a, it's a good draw, like you mentioned. And one point out of the eight, they're going to be pretty hungry for it. And one of the things that they've got going for them, well, they've got a couple of different things. It's, they're one point out of the eight, but... They're one point out of six. South Sydney, Cronulla and North Queensland are all on 26 points with Newcastle on 25. Now, you'd think that they'll they'll do the Dolphins this week to put them one point ahead of one of those teams at least. Um, the Sharks, Cowboys, they've both got tough matchups. The Sharks up against South in sixth place. So one of those teams is going to lose. And the Cowboys having to play the Broncos without Valentine Holmes and some injury issues. So... You think they can move in? Uh, the, the Roosters could also do them a favour too because they're on equal points with Manly on 25 and the Roosters could do Manly in tonight. And if that happens, then the, it looks really favourable for Newcastle. So I love their run, but we've got to talk about the other side in this one, Canberra. I'm surprised because Canberra kind of had their own little run like this a, a little bit earlier in the mid-season especially. And they went on a heap of games. I can't remember how many in a row. It might have been six in a row or something ridiculous. They, they won a lot of games in a row. Yeah, I think it was six. Yeah. So they won like six in a row themselves. And this is kind of the quintessential Ricky Stewart, right? Us against the world and they knuckle down in the mid-season, they go for this run. and But they finish it off at the end, per se. And then all of a sudden they lose this and you sort of go, well, aren't they meant to be winning this these sort of games? And they're all of a sudden looking worse for the run home, which is unraiders like normally they're sort of coming home with a wet sail because they're normally pushing. So they actually are in fifth place now after being in the top four. And they're only two points out of being out of the eight. And their draw is a bit of a mixed bag. So, I mean, what does this game say about them? Where do you think they go from here? Yeah, they, they even when those six games, they never put sides away, did they? They just sort of were just winning, but that's all you got to do. But they sort of bucked the trend of most teams this year. Coming off the bye, they've lost to the Warriors and then the Knights. So they've had two losses after the bye. So, I mean, obviously they'll win this week against the Tigers which would be a much-needed win, but then they go on to play Melbourne, then they should flog the Dogs, and they've got the Broncos, and then the Sharks. I mean, that last that, that last round could be very crucial. It's pretty tight. There's 
couple of these losses they were sort of cruising along the top four two weeks ago and now when they lose two more they're at the bottom end of the eight and in a bit of trouble so they really got to start finding their form again, the, the Raiders. Yeah, and one of the things I was looking at closely in this game, uh, I, the amount of points that they can score is very up and down. And you know, you've got guys like Whiten that just really have to really step up. I don't think he's been doing enough. I mean, he had a line break himself. He runs the ball well. He's always done that. But he's just got to start giving Fogarty a bit more support. And Fogarty's been a bit up and down as well. You know, he's shown games where you look at him and go, He's a really good NRL half. And then you have games like this where he doesn't create much of anything. He misses half a dozen tackles and starts giving away penalties. And then all of a sudden they're attack shot and they're basically down to these solo plays, which the Raiders do with guys like Hudson Young and stuff that they're, they're hoping for some of these guys to go through and score some tries. And it's just not going to work for them. Uh, and it also, I think, disengages. Like you see in this game, Tomoko, I was pretty excited about in this matchup. Or, you know, and he's had some games like when he ripped across the Dragons and just killed them with four line breaks and, a, and a three tries, I think it was, a couple of weeks ago. He got early ball and he got a lot of ball, whereas this one he's got 12 runs and half of those were hit-ups that he did himself. And he just didn't get anything. And I have to put that back onto the halves. Like They do have some guys outside that can actually make some things happen, but the halves just aren't delivering for the Raiders. And they're not going to get through just scoring... You know, 6, 12, 20 points, and they have very few games where they've actually exploded, where they've gone 30-plus in the point-scoring department. So I, I think that was the biggest takeaway for this one. The Raiders are going to get back to scoring points. Yeah, at the moment, it's hard to see where they're coming from, isn't it? They just look very disjointed again. It was, looks like the buy was a bad thing for them, which is unusual. Yeah, uh, normally you'd think that this Raiders side was going to come off fresh, especially with their reliance on their big pack, but it just didn't happen. And like, even when you look at the numbers in this, like their completion rate was actually better than what Newcastle's was. But it's no good just completing sets if you're the Raiders and just going through the motions. You've actually got to make something happen often. And they did in this game and they haven't been lately. So it's a big test for them this week. Manly, 24. The Dragons, 18. Uh, Manly scored... Uh, put a penalty goal away right at the depth. It looked like that it was going to be a manly win, but then we had a 57th-minute try to Billy Burns uh, and then also a 69th-minute to Tyrell Slane, which made it really, really interesting. The, the Seagulls, I, I can't remember the exact stat, but I think it was the last half a dozen games at Wynn Stadium they've lost. and They haven't won there for about six years. They've got a really bad record travelling to Wynn Stadium, and it was a really important game for them to remain in touch with the top eight. And yeah, you know, the Dragons started off really well. I actually thought the Dragons might have might have upset them in this, but I thought it would be close. A couple of controversial calls in this one as well, Perso. And Ryan Carr blew up a little bit in the post match about the disallowed try where uh Casey Badger has said in the bunker that she can see the ball over the line and then she's looking for other angles to see the ball down. Oh, sorry, the other way around. She could see the ball down. Uh and then the wording of it made it look like a, as long as he was across the line on the next frame, then it was going to be given a try. And then she went back on it and, and gave it a no try. Uh, Annesley's come out about that and said, look, the communication wasn't good, but, you know, the decision was right. I couldn't see how the decision was right. I, I thought I saw it as a try and I thought she was on the right track when she started talking about it. Uh, I don't mean to pile on the bunker again or on, on Casey Badger in particular. I think Casey Badger's had a few shockers, to be honest. Like, I think in the last month of footy especially, she's got at least three errors that have been really, really bad and been in the spotlight. And it's one where if you're the Dragons, you probably just sort of feel like with this game, look, we just keep getting kicked because we're down. 
we're one of the teams down the bottom four and we're just not getting any of these sort of calls. And there was a couple of those in particular that try, which um, you thought, well, that could have actually decided the game a little bit by the end. Yeah, it was another one of those 50-50 ones that seemed to go against us, the sides that are struggling. But uh, yeah, with Casey Badger, unfortunately for her, she's been on the back end of a couple of controversial decisions from the bank of this season. She's more than a couple. Something they might need to look at a little bit. But um, it always seems to be against the bottom sides too. <laughs> on the raw end of the stick. Uh, it's just coincidence or not. But yeah, Manly were quite lucky to get away with that in the end. I mean, they were cruising along there and then they just sort of fell into a hole. They only completed at 68% in the end and the Dragons completed at 81, which is what kept them in the game. They'd probably feel a little bit disappointed with that. There was one that might have got away from them, the Dragons, in the end. But um, yeah, definitely a little bit of worrying signs for Manly. They really should have put the Dragons away there at one point, but they'd let them right back in the game and almost lost it. The other call in this one was the... Jack DeBell and Simbin. Yeah. Now, we're going to go through the actual suspension later when we have a look at the judiciary news. But the actual bin happened by the bunker tipping off the referee, I think two plays after it actually happened or something. Um, it was a couple of plays past. And Jack DeBell and gets Simbin for a hip drop. Now, that obviously hurts the Dragons immensely. Um, it was an odd one for me because he actually said himself, which tackle, what are you talking about? When did it happen? Like he had no idea and I had no idea because I didn't spot it. And when I saw the replay, uh, I actually couldn't believe that it was 10 in the bin for that. Um, Now there's some people that agree that it's a hip drop, others that don't. We're going to talk about that when we go into the suspension. But as far as 10 in the bin goes, one thing that we have seen in other games, particularly the last six weeks, like I think we had a bit of a, a crackdown on the hip drop where everything was getting binned all the time. And then the sin bins are kind of stopped. And really, credit to the NRL, the last couple of months, the sin bins have stopped. You know, we went through the first third of the season where everyone was getting sin bin. Like, you kick a water bottle, you end up 10 in the bin. Now, it's all of a sudden people are allowed to play footy and stuff, and they're just putting stuff on report. That's what we've seen with the hip drops. And I think that's what really got me the most live when I'm watching it. Live when I'm watching it, I'm going, look, for the last six weeks, we've had stuff that's been pulled up by the bunker where you see play stop and it's like, Hey, mate, Perso, you're on report for that tackle last set, buddy. On report. Thanks. Let's go play the ball. And they've done that heap. And they've also done it with hip drops as well. And for some reason now, we turn around and go, well, this one's going to be 10 in the bin. It it was a bit of a strange one to me as far as, you know, how we've been calling games for the last six weeks. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Just the whole, you're talking consistency. Even looking at that tackle, Looking like how do they look at that tackle in the bunker and think, yeah, no, that's bad enough. We're going to go back two plays here and put him in the bin. Like, I don't know. I don't know how they came to that. We'll um, talk more about that, I suppose, later in the segment. But um, yeah, I thought it was a strange one. Look, even if they thought it was worth a penalty at that stage, penalty on report and move on, it wasn't a sin being. And that's what they've been doing. And I think that's what fans and, and everyone would prefer that they did. You know, if, if it's not, if it's egregious enough and so terrible, it's going to be picked up by the match officials live in the play. And if it if it isn't exactly the bloke the receiving end's normally at least got a burner in that situation and laid in. Yeah, so if it's not, then you know you just got to play the penalty and put it on report and, and or just put it on report and play on, which happens now as well. So I mean, it's, I like them doing that, and I like what they've done the last couple of months in doing it. The the Bulldogs twenty three over the Dolphins twenty two. Uh, I love the upset on this on pickle bet. I tell you what, got all over it because the Bulldogs opened up at about two dollars forty. 
And I thought that the, the side that they had back was going to help them. Um, they had a number of players back. Kickout started in the second row for the first time in a long time. Uh, they also had uh, Adokar returning too, which I think helped them a lot. And it was sort of close to the best team that they could probably field. And I thought it looked you know, pretty decent for them. Looking at the game, I, I thought the game might have been a little bit better. Um, but, you know, big Billy Kickout went across for the first try of the Bulldogs. And they certainly look like they're going to have a bit of fight. Avarillo, I have to point out again, he just keeps on delivering. They threw him in at halfback the week before. He's back at fullback for this game versus the Dolphins. And I just thought that he's... It's, it's a shame that he's going across to the Dolphins because, to me, he is so handy for the Bulldogs anywhere that he plays. But the return of Kikau, you know, the, the full-strength side that the Dogs have, they might be looking at upsetting a few teams on the run home like the Dolphins in this one as well. Yeah, it was an entertaining game, that one. There's a few errors in it, but it was still an entertaining game. And no one, you never sort of... Neither side looked like they were in a position where you thought they were going to win. Both sides stuck in there. Good win for the Dogs. Haven't had one for a while. Avarillo is brilliant. I mean, he's been probably the best player the last two seasons. I'm really surprised they let him go. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in with the Dolphins next year, but that's probably the end of the Dolphins now, do you think, Barnsley, this season? That was a game they really needed to win if they wanted to make the eight. Yeah, uh, that's the end of the Dolphins. I, I can't see them doing much better, especially with the draw that they've got. Um, and really, like, it's... It's almost job done. Like you don't want your, if you're Wayne Bennett, you don't want your players to put the cue in the rack or anything. But it's almost thinking about next year, isn't it? Like if you're Wayne Bennett, you're probably starting to look at some younger guys and giving some guys some game time and, and lessening some minutes of some veterans and stuff because it's I think it's mission accomplished. They've they've come into the competition with their first year. They've gotten a good amount of wins. They even gave the top eight a bit of a shake. And it's it's a good season for them, even though they could lose the rest of the games that, that they've got in hand, it's it's still a good season. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're probably not looking at it that way because they've been in the eight for so long and still a chance to the last few rounds. But everyone had them in their bottom four this season, thought they'd struggle, thought they'd, they wouldn't have the depth to compete over the season. They've exceeded everyone's expectations and they've got some good players coming next year too. So mm. it's interesting to see how they progress next season. Interesting stat to finish off on this game. I don't remember a side missing 50-odd tackles and winning a game this year. <laughs> the Togs <laughs> missed 49 tackles. They also had a 68 completion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was ordinary as well. And they, you're looking at all the stats and you how the hell did they stay in that game? Uh, the Dolphins smashing in completion. The Dolphins had more possession. Um, the Dolphins missed 28 tackles to the, to the Dogs 49. And the error rate, <laughs> the Dogs 12 errors, Dolphins 9. And they conceded more penalties to Dogs. You look at it and go, there's no way they won that game. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, the last game before we go into what's happening at the Sharks and that loss, Gold Coast Titans 22, North Queensland 13. Huge upset in this one. The Titans have shown, per se, that they will fight. And I do think that they get up for those Queensland the Queensland derbies that they have against the Broncos and also against the Cowboys and soon to be against the Dolphins too when they build up that rivalry a bit. But I don't think anyone saw this one coming. Um, I certainly thought that the Cows would, even if it was a closer game, the Cows would put a lot of points on them. And they only put up 13 points. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the attack's looking a little bit dicey. Uh, Drinkwater was held in check pretty well. I thought that he would have ended up tearing the Gold Coast apart, actually, for a side that that lets in the, the fourth or fifth most points in the competition. I thought that guys like Drinkwater would have really excelled in this one. 
Um, but to the Titans' credit, didn't happen. Barely had any line breaks. Only Sammy Valame made a line break with his try that he scored in the corner. Uh, other than that, the Cowboys couldn't even salvage a line break. So were you surprised at the scoreline and also the Titans getting over the top of them? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Titans, I mean, if ever they're in a game, you think it's going to be like a 28-26 win or something like that. But defensively, they've been horrible all season. But they seem to just have the Cowboys number. I think the Cowboys were a bit off, but Titans, to their credit, played well. It's um, a bit of a crucial loss, that one, for the Cowboys, especially you know, the Broncos this week with no Val Holmes. So all of a sudden, they can be slip out of the top eight again quite quickly. Yeah, they're, they're a side that I think was averaging, conceding maybe 12 points against them, I think it was, across the, the five or six weeks prior. And they came into this one and they missed 47 tackles, the Cowboys. So, you know, that, that defence particularly just fell apart. And I, 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 I can't help but think that they've, they've almost come into this point of the season now, the Cowboys, where I think that they rightly or wrongly feel that they're better than what they are. And what I mean is, you know, the way that they've played the last couple of months per se, you'd be forgiven for thinking they're a top four side. And I've even seen people say, ah, they're my dark horse for the, to get to the grand final. I think they can go all the way. But they're only an eighth. You know, they, they haven't had the banger season. They've had a banger mid-portion of the season. And I almost feel like they've started to get to a point where maybe a little bit of complacency is in there. Maybe they've sort of, you know, think that they're just going to make the eight. They're going to get to the finals. And, you know, they really haven't earned that right yet based on their whole season. And it can also be argued, per so. We did see a, a pretty ordinary Cowboys side for the first couple of months. Just because we saw a better one for the next couple of months doesn't mean that we know which one it is. You know, they could easily just revert and maybe, you know, they just had a hot streak of six weeks. What Do you think that this game sort of shows us either way? Yeah, it was, well, when they have won six in a row leading into this, so maybe it's the old cliche, that, that the loss they had to have, the, you know, the old kick up the butt. But um, for your origin, everyone was saying the Cowboys are gone. They're really struggling and they, found that form through the origin period, clapped together to a really red-hot sort of six-week form. And, uh, they definitely reverted back to their pre-origin form in that game. So hopefully for Cowboys fans, it was only um, a glitch and they'll fight back this week. But it's uh, got to be a bit of a worrying sign there. It's a game they probably should have won on the form that they've been in. So we'll see how they pop up this week. So our next uh, topic is actually going to be around uh, the Sharkies. So that's why we held off on talking about the Panthers and the Sharks. Are the Sharks done? What has happened to them, Perso? It is a, a big loss on the weekend, 28-0. It was a weird one on the weekend, though. You know, everyone's sticking the boot in just as much as before. But to me, I actually thought, look, for the Sharks to only lose 28-0 on the weekend to Penrith at Penrith, I thought it was a bit of a result. <laughs> that sounds silly, but... Like they only completed at 67%. They only had 40% possession. And in that first half, the possession split for at half time. The Sharks had had 33% ball. You know, you had Cam McInnes set a record with 81 tackles because that's how little ball that they had. They missed 44 tackles at 13 errors, conceded six penalties to pe- the Panthers pe- three. Like it was just an absolute debacle. And I thought that in the first half they were actually trying. It was just, they just couldn't get the ball. And then when they were making the errors, especially in the second half, when, you know, Hines threw a few passes and people were just dropping it cold, I sort of thought, well, they're probably buggered. And you see this all the time where you get to a second half and you haven't had any possession, you've made so many tackles, and they were just so tired. So I wasn't 
as critical. Like to me, even if the Sharks were firing, they were probably going to be losing that game to Penrith. They really could have got done by 50 or 60 if they'd shown up how they have in some other, you know, halves of the, the season recently, like against Manly in that first half where they were down 30 nil. Uh, 28 nil probably does flatter the Sharks. I mean, you look at the, the way Penrith played and it could have been 54 nil that game. So, I don't know, the Sharks' form has just been, it's fallen off a cliff since the um, the Warriors flogged them a couple of weeks ago. I mean, 30, down 30 nil against Manly. They were, I mean, they were improved from that game. That first half against Manly last week was absolutely atrocious. I mean, it's <clears throat> a miracle they got back into that game. But, uh, aside from belting up the bottom sides, like it is a pretty fair assessment. Since round 14, or the, the loss of the Broncos 20-12, the Storm flogged them 54-10, then they flogged the Dogs 48-10. Flogged the Dragons fifty two to sixteen, flogged the Tigers thirty six to twelve, and then they just the form after that they just lost three in a row now. So against uh, Warriors, Manly, and the Panthers, big test this week for them against the Bunnies. It's a game they both sides have to win really. So Sharks are in big danger of dropping out of the top eight with their draw. Yeah, I think they're a, a 50-50 on making the top eight at this point, and I think that it's pretty surprising. If you looked at the start of the season and you thought you were going to be saying that, I think a lot of teams, a lot of people would have thought you were crazy. It's as far as what's happened to them. To me, I I get what you're saying about against the top eight sides, but that to me is just a hump for them to become an elite side. Uh, I don't. The, the problem that I've got at the moment is that not they're not just losing the top eight sides; they look terrible in the last few weeks. And, oh, the defense, their edge defense is atrocious. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where Fitzgibbon's obviously a defensive coach, so he would be pulling his hair out about it. But oh, I think that Nico Hines has gotten a lot of flack, and I I don't mean to be such a big Nico supporter. I'm just talking how I see it, and I, I just I, I still don't understand it all being thrown on him. You know, Hines is if if you look at the top, yeah, yeah. forget about it the top was... eight sides. Like look at the top dozen sides. Like he's he's arguably got one of the least star-studded spines out of anyone in the top eight, especially. Uh, and it's really the Nico show. Like, he is there to create everything. Matt Moylan has done nothing this year. He's been awful to the point that he got dropped. Um, Braley is solid, but never going to be amazing. Uh, Kennedy is is a decent fullback, but he's not a playmaker. He's not a kicker. All of the pressure is on Hines in that side, and it is all built around him. You could argue that it's majority of the side is role players to good first to good starters. No other stars aside from Nico Hines in that side. You'll be hard pressed to find many other sides that are like that. Like they don't even have a star forward. I guess Nicaro's sort of busted out this year, and people could say, but they don't. They don't really have stars in that side aside from Hines. Uh, so to me, it's a bit unfair to throw it all on him because I mean, look, you put you put other sides in that position. I mean, how far can DCE push? the current Manly Seagulls line up by himself. Not very far, it seems. It's the same sort of predicament. The rosters are kind of similar in a way. So to me, I don't think it's all on Hines. I think it's on everything around him. We saw a few times that game where Hines threw balls and guys like Ramian just dropped it cold. Uh, there was probably half a dozen passes where people just dropped it cold off him. And a few of those, he'd actually found space on the outside and they're just dropping the ball. And then you got the missed tackles, like you said. Like To me, how much do you think with Hines, like oh, people will say, I'm biased with Hines. I love him too much. What's your take with Hines? You know, does he is a lot of it his responsibility on what's happening with the Sharks? Yeah, criticism on Hines is absolutely ridiculous, Barzi. 
in all honesty, his form hasn't dropped away much at all. I mean, he's trying to do everything. But, um, but for me, the Sharks forward pack aren't going anywhere near as good as they were last season. And their edge defence is a massive problem. They just fall away. That's just they're getting carved up. That's just not what they were doing at the start of last year. That's for sure. Even the start of this season, I mean, you you can't blame Hines for the, the left edge and right edge just getting torn apart. Even the score, like in that Manly game, that used to he was the only reason they got back in that game, and they almost stole it at the death. So I mean, you, I can't. I really can't see the what the warrant the criticism on on Hines, as you said, touching on Moylan. Moylan sort of had a cameo season last year. He was sort of finds his yin to the yang. They had a good combination going, and this year he's just been flat, and then his defence has dropped right off as well to the point which is why Fitzgibbon has dropped him and is trying to get Trendle working. And when it's that late in the season to start changing combinations too, you, you, you can't sort of blame Hines for that either. So his form hasn't been quite as good as what we've expected over the last 18 months, but it hasn't been bad by any form, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm going to pinpoint it on two things. Two big main factors for me. You mentioned the Fords. Let's have a look at the Ford pack that they're trotting out there. Middle Fords, Mickiness can hold his head high. The other middle Fords that they've got. Toby Rudolph has been a shell of himself since coming back from injury. There was a tug of war for him with the Warriors, and he's been nothing like the promise that he showed. Maybe he snaps out of that. He's young enough to, and I think that he will. But as far as the season goes, he's not providing a lot. Hamlin Uele uh, has been up and down and fairly injury-riddled. Uh, Finucane is just gone. He's not even, he can't start anymore in the NRL, as far as I'm concerned. People will think that's disrespectful for him, but it's just, it's past it for him now. Uh, talking about guys that are past it, they're starting Wade Graham in the back row. Uh, that's, you just can't be doing that. Off the bench, though, who are their middle forwards? They've got Kafusi, Jack Williams, and these guys are, these guys are journeymen. I know they're not hugely old and they've never latched on to, to top 17 positions anywhere else. You could argue that, neither Williams or Kafusi would be on anyone's benches in any other top eight side. I don't think they would be. And even Hamlin ULA would probably maybe be 17th man on some of those benches. It's it's not a good middle for the Sharks as it is. And the second point that I'll make is, unfortunately, I don't see it getting much better for the Sharks. I think that they need to go out and recruit heavily because the roster itself, I think that they've got a mix of a few guys who have just all of a sudden dropped off a cliff and a past it. Moylan had arguably a career year aside from his first couple of years at Penrith last year, uh, in the start of his career. And last year he was great, career year just about, and he's awful this year. Has to leave the NRL basically um, because that's where his form has been. And then you've got guys like Wade Graham, who to me was okay as a signing as a 15-minute forward, but he's dropped off again. And it's to a point where he's gone. Finucane was a big signing for them. NRL's passed him by. He's, he's you know, in, approaching his mid-30s. Now what is he, 33 or something? It's just one of those things. And those guys aren't going to get better. They are done. Then you throw in someone like Ramian. Ramian had a career year last year. He has been droppable this year as well. Uh, so all of a sudden, you've got these few guys per se that had career years for the Sharks last year that are now not even playable. And that makes a big difference. And then the other side of things is that you've got guys who are young enough to maybe turn it around, but haven't shown the form that they showed last year when the Sharks went well. Mulatalo has been really bad this year at times, and he needs to snap out of it. Um, then you've got injuries thrown in as well with someone like Kennedy gone. So, I mean, it's to me, that they don't have any depth because you look at the guys that they're bringing in per so, 
and they just don't have anyone else to bring in there. And for a side that is really reliant on one star type of roster build, that's going to be an issue when everyone else is, isn't stepping up. So to me, I, I think they've got to move a few guys along and they've really got to go to market. Yeah, unfortunately for the Sharks, I reckon they'd be ruined the decision to let um, Metcalf go to the Warriors. How handy would he be for him right now? The form he's shown and that sort. Perfect. But uh, oh, like on one positive for the Sharkies, Thomas Hazelman's been really good for him coming off the bench. Quite impressive. Even on the weekend, 95 run murders, 47 pace and 43 tackles in a squad that was struggling. So, I mean, that's a shining light. But he touched on Hamney Newelli and Rudolph. They've been plagued by injuries this year. Neither of them are a shell of the players they were last season. You touched on everything. Mulatalo's form last year was scintillating this year, especially in the second half. He's been pedestrian at first. It's just fallen off a cliff. Obviously, more like, what's well, I don't, what's someone supposed to do with all that? A guy like Connor Tracy probably should have been thrown into the mix a bit earlier in the season. I think Fitzgibbon what should have probably been a bit more ruthless a bit earlier, I suppose, but he tried to show faith in them and they just haven't come good. Do you see him coming out of this, or how do you see them coming out of this? Not just for this season, but the you know the immediate short term next couple of seasons. Has Wade Graham announced his retirement for this season? Surely he doesn't go around again. He hasn't, but he, he, oh no, I think that he has. I'm pretty sure that he yeah. has. Yeah. So I mean, that that'll free up a little bit of cap space for him to, even though he didn't he resign this year or not a lot. But I don't know. They, they haven't really been much talk about him going into the market. There's certainly no market he's signed as they've signed yet. So I think they definitely need a bit to strengthen that middle up. And then, yeah, I don't know, it's defence. Well, it's interesting because you're right. That you don't hear the Sharks going to market. And, you know, I live in the Shire. I hear very little about the Sharks buying anybody, any rumours or anything. And you look at the roster and go, they can't be spending that much. Like, everyone's got to remember, Hines is only on 650 at the moment. Uh, that's going to get upgraded and he's going to be on a lot. But 650 right now. And you look at the roster around him and go, who he's getting paid a lot of money. Nicker is getting, I think, 700 or something like that. He got a big upgraded contract. Um, but aside from that, Kennedy's on the 500 mark. I think Talakai got upgraded pretty significantly being an Origin player last year. I think he went up to 500 or something. But there's no one else here taking up cap space. So I don't understand where the money's going per se. No, it's a strange one. They've got a heap of marquee players or two or three marquee players taking up the majority of the... Um... Salary cap. Be interesting to see if young Carlin Iro gets a run soon. Although he's been knocking on the door all year, Kurt Ward. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit hard to see where they're going to play him because I mean, I, I think Katawa's been pretty solid. I don't think you move him on. Um, Militalo. No, he's, he's probably going to keep Militalo. He's young enough and he's shown enough where you should be able to bounce back. And I think the ideal situ- situation would have been for Iro to go onto a wing. So yeah, it, it makes it a little bit hard. I tell you what, I said it before with the Eels, but. The Sharks look like they should have money. Like, couldn't the Sharks go and say to Payne Haas, here's a million bucks a year, come to the Shire? Yeah, that's, I don't know. That's all these sides that seem to be trying to throw that hat in the ring. Like, oh, Melbourne's the latest one there. How have they got room in the cap to, to offer Payne 1.2 or something to come down there? So, I don't know. You'd think surely that um, there's a bit of wiggle room at the Sharks. And, I mean, you do have guys like Tino and Fafita that are now going to renegotiate as well. and potentially leave the Titans. There's enough forwards there where I think the Sharks could probably throw their hat in the ring and get a marquee forward signing. And you know, it's a bit harder in the halves and certainly at fullback and stuff, but getting a forward in would really help them. So I think that they need to go to market and I think that there is enough forwards there 
where they should be able to and they should have enough cap space looking at it. Um, I think Moylan's on next year, 500,000. They could they could potentially move him on earlier. And Catalans actually came sniffing a couple of weeks ago and they wanted Moylan. And they're actually going all right in the Super League. So, I mean, if he got an early release and they got off that 500K for next year, plus you've got the retirement of Graham and, and Finucane's going to be in his last year, I think. Um, you, you've got money there. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that the Sharks start to ramp up the rumour mill and we start to hear about some signings per se, because unfortunately, Hines is such a good talent, but he, there is nobody in the league that can just do everything themselves and carry a side, although as fans, sometimes we expect it. Yeah, it's a bit hard. It's a, certainly a bit harsh criticism on Hines, but with a really red-eyed forward back, that, their spine would be good enough to do plenty of damage. But they probably just lack that one extra player, especially with the kicking now, like everything's to Hines. So moving along to the judiciary news, JDB and Holmes, they are both out for a month. Uh, Holmes, first of all, I actually didn't know what tackle it was. And I was like, oh, geez, I hope that isn't a bad put on report one. And then I saw it and was like, oh, maybe he's lucky not to get sent off. <laughs> it was Yeah, he just got that wrong, didn't he? It was, uh, he's jumped off his feet. I can't believe anyone. There was a few. There's always a few people that defend stuff or that have a different opinion on stuff. But I couldn't believe anyone had a different opinion on this one. He he jumps off his I feet. I can't believe he fought <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean he, he was late. He jumped off his feet and he hit him in the forehead. Like it's, it doesn't matter about the falling. Like it, everything was there, and he nailed him as well. So I mean, and it was a shoulder. So to me, it was lucky he didn't get sent off. Um, and Sinbin was 100 percent the right decision. But when we go to the judiciary. They've actually fought it. And I think it was the Catfish Wilfred actually tweeted, they used the SIBO example as some of their defence. It was like, SIBO <laughs> went and fought it and got four weeks instead of three. Yeah, whoever his lawyer is, and there's a new one. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, the Holmes one, I think, is pretty cut and dried. I thought the decision on field was right. And I, and I think, you know, the judiciary was right. But, yeah, how did you, how did you see it? Oh, exactly right. You saw Jaden Campbell, he's only a little black, but it rocked him. He got up with a split lip and you watched it just got him flushing the melon. And it was just blatant shoulder charge. I mean, yeah. I don't know, they don't send us send guys. He's lucky he only got ten, really. But um that was the right result. And Holmes' record's not hundred percent clean, although I can't believe they fought it. He was always getting suspended for that. You're not getting out of that. So Jack DeBellin is a more controversial one. This is this is split opinion quite a bit. Um there is people that think that it is a hip drop and he needs to go and stuff and they've got to get the tackle out of the game and stuff. I do not see it as a hip drop. I actually was hoping that they would afford it and I could not believe that he, one, got the three to four week suspension charge and, two, then wasn't successful in a downgrade because I I know the people that will say it's a hip drop throw out the NRL criteria of the the hit, the twist, and then the the dropping down of the weight. My problem with that is that if you just look at it verbatim without context, everybody hits in a tackle. Everyone twists and certainly rolls down in a tackle because that's what happens. And so those first two points are there just about every tackle. And the third thing is uh, the drop. And to me, the hip drop that we always wanted to get out of the game and what was a hip drop and has now been muddied in the last few months, the hip drop was always jumping off your feet in a fashion where you were putting your body weight back down onto a player to pull them down. And it was very specific and you could definitely see it happen because a player was purposely employing that technique. It isn't just getting knocked off your feet with momentum of the tackle or sliding or any of that stuff. 
And to me, JDB didn't even really come off his feet. Like, I think he always had a foot on the ground that whole time. He ended up sliding down the tackle and the momentum of the runner, and this is the other important thing for me, there's so much physics and, and stuff involved that you just you can't do anything about. It. You can't just say it's on the player's responsibility as a defender. If you go and hit someone, you're never going to have fully control of that tackle. Okay, it's you've got two guys at 100 kilos plus each most of the time running at each other, and one of them is trying to get control of the tackle with the ball by running through you and throwing you off, and the other one's trying to get control of the tackle by holding you and putting you on the ground. You you never both win somebody's going to lose control of that tackle and it's not going to be through any technique or any fault of theirs. JDB's gone in and hit to me, slid across the side, and the momentum of the actual runner has pushed him to the side and he's just ended up on his ass, and he's just held on. He didn't even come down on the back of both legs like we've well, seen the yeah. quintessential hit drop. It was just on one leg, which happens all the time, per se. You will see someone come down on someone's leg 20 times a game, 50 times a game. That was the point I was about to make, Barty. He didn't even end up on his legs. Like his whole body didn't end up on his legs. His torso was still on his ass. I, I can't believe it was a hip drop, let alone it was caught by the bunker and pulled back two players and Sinbin. I, I just could not understand that one. I thought I'd finally got my head around exactly what they were aiming as a hip drop in that over the last couple of months. And that one was just like, blew me away, to be honest. Then to get suspended for that, like you could suspend 10 blokes a game for that. Well, they haven't been pulling those ones up the last six weeks. Like I said, they've had this. Um, so that's why I thought he would get off too because, you know, they just haven't – they've slowed down on it and it's almost like they've gone. Everyone gets the point now. We're only going to really do the, the real bad ones. And then this one was like, this is just one of those regular tackles. And it, you can't stop people from tackling around the legs per se. And that to me was just a, a pretty normal rugby league tackle. So, yeah, you can – yeah, that one to say Paddy Carrigan's one that he did last year on Jackson Hastings or Jackson Hastings broke his ankle and what Carrigan only got three or four yeah. weeks for that, didn't he? And that was that was a textbook hip drop. So it just comes back again to the consistency. Look, it's just ridiculous. But I'll, I'll, throw, I'll pose another question to everyone listening into you, Perso. If that's Nathan Cleary, does he even get sent to the bin, let alone get a suspension? No one. Nah, no one had noticed. Dr. Bellin's a bit of a murky character these days after the off-field stuff that happened a couple of years ago. So I think that's definitely got yeah, something to do with it. Yeah, the Dragons have got a reason to feel aggrieved too. If you are in the, the bottom four sides, you, you, there is an unconscious bias sometimes. Um, and certainly, you know, there is an aura of the top sides if you're a Storm or a Penrith and stuff where, you know, you probably do get some favourable calls at times. And, and this is one of them though. I do feel like if this was one of several other players he doesn't get sent to the bin. It's probably just on report and it probably ends up being a one week or a, um, or it probably ends up being a fine, I should say. Um, it does need to be said. It was, JDB had some loading from a prior one. I think the prior one was actually rubbish as well though. So, I mean, you could argue the loading was rubbish, but in any event. Surely that particular tackle should just have been left up to the match review committee to have a look at after the game. If they thought there was something but I always can't see how the bunkers cut a decision and then oh, no, that's got to be bin. No, I, I don't get it at all. So to me, it shouldn't have been a bin, shouldn't have been a charge, and then it, it shouldn't have been upheld when he fought it. So uh, I could go on and on about it, but I'm not going to. Um, I think it's you know as clear as mud at the moment as far as the consistency and what we're looking for in, in tackles. Yeah, just when you thought you had some, now you, you lose it again. It's yeah, well, they're consistent with that at least. So, I mean, NRLW kicked off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it's got to be said, they had the four new sides coming in to make it a 10-team competition. 
And there was always the worry um, that you're you know, almost doubling in size and the spread of the talent, which was already in its infancy. You know, what is that going to do? Hopefully these sides compete. Compete, they've all got to win. So, you know, it's it's worth mentioning, especially for those that don't follow the NRLW very, very closely. Uh, the Canberra Raiders, the North Queensland Cowboys, the Cronulla Sharks and the West Tigers all have a win. Not only that, the West Tigers are two wins and zero losses at the top of the yeah. competition table for you. So, Perso, surely you're following the women because, I mean, that's where your premiership's at this year. <laughs> They've been playing a pretty good brand of footy, actually. It was a, it was a bit of a dour game against the Sharks at the weekend, but that opening game was sensational, throwing the ball around, having a crack. But um, that was always the query over the women's comp this year, had they expanded too early too quickly. But on the first two rounds, you'd say, no, they haven't. The talent's there. Yeah, they've done a sensational job. And it, it needs to be said too, the teams that just got their first wins, like the Raiders did it against the Roosters, who are hot competition favourites. and They were outstanding too, the Raiders on the way. They've been a 24-14. to 14. It was actually, the, I think aside from that uh, Knights-Cowboys game, the most points that was scored in, in any of the matches. And they, they were in control the entire game. The Roosters were chasing hard and scored a couple of late tries to try and come back. And the Raiders, 24-14, to 14, easy winners. Uh, the other one was another big scout. The Knights are the second favourite to take out the competition. And the Cowboys beat them. And they beat them at, at Belmore too. It wasn't like it was up in Queensland. And they went into Golden Point. Uh, Kira Dib, sensational again. It's going to be a really important signing for the Cowboys. So it's it wasn't like that they've beat up on, on some of the other sides or on each other. They've actually beat a couple of competition heavyweights, those two sides. So that was good to see. And I was watching that Roosters game, and I tell you what, like they were, they were throwing it at the Raiders. Isabel Kelly was was going for it, um, and they've got a star-studded lineup that Roosters saw, and I really liked them for this year. So it was a, it was a big yeah. win. Even though Roosters were coming back, they thought, "Oh, here we go." The Chooks might just get over the top of them at the end. They sort of rallied and sort of and won the game. Like they were the better side all game, but you just had that feeling at the end there, didn't you? The Chooks were coming, but um, all credit to the Raiders it was a solid win. Very much so. So well done for NRLW and for the expansion that the NRL's done with it because at the moment, the first couple of rounds say that it was an excellent move and it's paying dividends and we've got a really good quality 10-team competition, which is a good size and what we really needed to have. As far as the positive pitch segment, could have been the NRLW per se, but instead Paps is back. So Ryan Pappenhausen, about 12 months after his injury, is returning to rugby league for the first time, playing in the Queensland Cup this week. That is uh, huge. There's been a lot of injuries that you see, per se, that you go, geez, I hope that isn't career-changing. Because, you know, we've seen it before. I, I still vividly remember the Jarrell Yoye um, fracture of the ankle, the compound fracture. And he did come back, but was never the same and ended up retiring at a young age. You know, and that sort of Paps injury where he's shattered his kneecap, it's one of those ones, and it's obviously a long layoff. So it is great news that he's back. It's great news that he, uh, from all the reports and stuff, that he appears to be healthy. It's hugely positive for him in the storm. Uh, but do we see him back in the storm colours soon? How long do you think he's going to be in Queensland Cup? Not sure. There are going to be all eyes on that Queensland Cup game this week, isn't there? Just so good to see him back on the park. He's just one of those fan favourites, isn't he, Paps? Just such a good player to watch. He was having such a good season again last year before he had that horrific injury. and. Uh, is that there? There's so much conjecture about whether he was going to come back at all this season, but um, it's good to see him back on the park, that's for sure. I mean, his patella got split into eight different pieces. You sort of compare to one of the other 
more known patellar breaks, which was Tedesco back in about 2015 when he had a knee clash with Campuzzi and split it in half, and he was gone for you know the rest of that season. So it's been a um, a pretty fair road to recovery for Papenhausen. So I just hope he gets that gets through the 80 minutes on the weekend. I mean, obviously he's going to be underdone with match football, so. Whether he um, he might end up going back into that role he played a few years ago on the bench for the Storm come the finals. If he's in a bit of form and his knee feels good, I mean, he's been really good for him too this year. So I'm certain Bellamy won't rush him back into the side, but is that to be a good a bit of X factor off the bench if he's back to full fitness? Yeah, I, I tend to think it's either next week or the week after. He's going to be on the Storm bench and they're going to play him, you know, the 2025 off the bench um, because I don't think that they can go into the final series and not have him have the match fitness at NRL level uh, and the experience back at NRL level and the confidence that that's going to give him. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts the last two, even three games of the season yeah. at fullback. I think that could happen. Yeah, but it's all great unknown at the moment, isn't it? Just see how he goes. He gets through this game all right, and he's holding up, and yeah, when he's such a good player, you're getting back in. Well, fingers crossed for Paps this week. Hopefully he gets through it, and he gets through it with flying colours. It'd be great to see the... The big flow in Maine of Pappenhausen getting over the line for three tries or something in the Q Cup and, and just carving up and being back after a year out. So well done to Paps and good luck for the week. Listener's Corner. Favourite all-time teams, per se, or team? What What's your one? What's your what's one of your favourite all-time teams? I don't think it's going to be too much of a surprise, is it, Barnsley? Coming from me. Tigers 89? Tigers, two... <laughs> <laughs> nah, Tigers 2005, I'd have to say. It's, we come from where we were in the ladder and win nine in a row and, and get to the grand final. Just playing that brand of footy that would, no one had really seen before. Benji Marshall exploding on the scene and Robbie Farrow and those sort of young guys like that. They had a good mix of youth and elder players and just sort of came from nowhere. It's probably the biggest upset in NRL history, really. Like, they were 200 to 1 at one point in the season. So I'd have to go with the Tigers from 2005. It was a real nice mix of youth and um, a few good old heads in there as well. Um, obviously, Benji and Robbie and some of those young guys. Uh, Dwyer was there as well, from memory. Um, uh, he came a little was bit he later. later, was he? Yeah, you had guys like Fata Weir and Shane Elford in the battle experience. Paddy Richards. about to say, Paddy Richards and Hodgson, yeah. yeah. Oh, Toddy Payton was coming off the bench because you had Scandalis. He was an older head in the front. And uh, Benny Galea. Uh, yeah, it was a good mix. A lot of good young guys coming through. Lawrence had two seasons under his belt at that stage and was wishing one of the better centres in the country. Hyington? Yeah, Hyington was there, yep. Uh, Bryce Gibbs. Uh, that was a good side. Gibbs, were, Gibbs and uh, Hazelton remind me of each other. Uh, they were yeah. both, you know, the, 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 the 38-year-olds, 23-year-olds as well. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> I, I'm going to go. I'm throw up a couple because I didn't want to be boring and just throw up, you know, the, uh, the Roosters. Roosters. Um, as an 18. Uh, nah, so my Roosters side, we're going to go for the 2002 Grand Final Premiership side. So obviously, Brad Fittler is one of my favourite players of all time. It had to be a Brad Fittler-led Roosters side. But that side, when you go down it, people will think, oh, it's completely star-studded. And like it was, but there's so many of these guys that, that Freddie made into the players that they were that went on and were nowhere near as good afterwards. Going from one to 17 per se. It just gets me so excited. Luke Phillips at one. Brett Mullins at two. 
His year was underrated, Luke Phillips. Oh, he... he was. And he that was a year as well where he just put himself on the line and got knocked out a million times. Like, he wouldn't survive right now because he would be out of the game from concussion. Like, he was such a brave, brave fullback as well. Uh, Brett Mullins, on his career swan, swan song, set the, uh, set the tone for Brett Morris to do the same thing. Uh, Mullins coming across from Canberra. And he was still had the speed and just transitioned to the wing brilliantly. He was awesome. Hegarty and Hodges were in the centres. Both of those guys were playing state of origin at the time. And to me, Hodges was, at the time, possibly the best centre in the league. And then you had Shannon Hegarty, who afterwards actually went on and, and just never hit the heights that he did at, that he did at the Roosters. And he's one of the ones that really benefited from Fittler's balls that he was giving him in his service. And the count on the wing, Minicello. You know, it was always a shame with many the injuries and stuff, and you just sort of thought, oh, I hope he can come back and, you know, be in a grand final side again. And he was, and he was very effective off the wing as well. And the the halves combo, you know, Brad Fittler had to carry a few lesser halves that were just, you know, they just weren't up to it. I mean, he played with guys like Sam Obst starting at half in, in finals games and stuff. Craig Wing, uh, you know, finally promoted from utility to, to be the number seven, and they played brilliantly together. The bookends, you'd love these two. Jason Kalis and Peter Cusack. I'll tell you what. Yeah, kept the heart on, bros. Cusack was underrated too. They were both they would both just belt everybody. Um, but it, Simon Benetti, one of those unsung heroes, he actually retired at about twenty five and went back to a farm. Um, because he was just done. And he was one of those guys that would just make fifty tackles and pass the ball to his halves really well. Um, won the premiership. I think he might have been retired the next year. Back row though, you want to talk about star started. Adrian Morley got thrown in off the bench. And I've, Adrian Morley was one of my favourite front rowers of all time for the Roosters, possibly my favourite. But the the back row that they had was Fitzgibbon, Rickardson, Fletcher. And that is my favourite back row of all time. They complemented each other so well. Fletcher had the offloads and the attack and everything else. Rickardson had a bit of that, but the work rate. And Fitzy was just a massive worker. I don't, I don't think that I, I've loved any back row more than that one. Off the bench, you, you normally would have Morley coming off there. Andrew Lomu did a lot of good things for a few years. And the two young Queensland origin representatives that hadn't quite hit their straps yet, a young Mick Crocker and Chris Flannery. It's a solid bench, isn't it? That's an outstanding team, that one of the races. I used to love it. One of my um, underrated favourite players was was Chris Flannery. He um, He was a guy that I thought really should have had a better career and deserved a better career for his talent level than what he had. Um, he could play everywhere. And a lot of people now probably don't even remember Chris Flannery because he went across to the Super League pretty young. But he, he was actually one of my favourite players in that side coming through. Yeah, he played a few origin games. So Queensland didn't see him, seeing as I'm underrated. But yeah, he was definitely a handy player. Filling in a couple of positions too. That was a pretty stacked side from the Chooks. It was a great side. Obviously, we ended up losing uh, guys like Crocker, um, moved on because people will laugh about salary cap and stuff, but some of these guys were pretty young, so they had to move on. We lost Craig Wing as well. Yeah, Fletcher went to the Bunnies not long after that too, didn't he? Yep, Fletcher went to the Bunnies as well. Uh, i tell you what, we have to mention another side. So I, I reckon I picked one for both of us per se. It's not a Tigers or a Roosters side. The 1994 Premiership winning Canberra Ooh, Raiders side. yeah, that's a team and a half. Fullback Brett Mullins. Wingers of the two flyers, Kenny Nagus and Noah Nadruku. The big front row forward center combination of Malvin Inger and Ruben Wiki, who transitioned to front rower a couple of years later. The halves of Daly and Stewart. 
the forwards are Pongia and Osborne at the front. And then talk about a back row, right? I, I like I lamented how much I miss my Roosters back row. This one's pretty close, mate. Jason Croker, David Ferner, and Brad Clyde. And then they've got Steve Walters as the hooker. That is an outstanding 13. People talk about the Raiders sides of the 80s and 90s, and they often talk about the 89, 90 side, but God, that 94 side was unreal for me. The brand of footy they were playing, it. That was the, the brand of footy that was going around at that time in the mid-90s was awesome across the board. But I mean, even a guy like Paul Osborne, that was his last game he played, and he just, in that game he had an absolute blinder and a couple of offloads that led to tries. And, yeah, that was a stacked side, and they weren't playing any mugs either against the Dogs. The Dogs had a pretty stacked side too in 94. Came in at um, Jersey 46 as well, Paul Osborne, so there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those stories, one of those grand final stories, that one, isn't it? Uh, they had absolute flyers. The speed in the back line and the skill level of the halves, and then you had attacking forwards as well, like Croker, Ferner, and Clyde could all, could all attack a bit as well. It was a perfect team. Barnsley spray of the week. Storm celebrating premierships they didn't win. Controversial for Storm fans, so I apologise in advance. I will say I don't have a problem with a team like the Storm celebrating their history, celebrating their seasons, celebrating their players. And, look, if they want to talk about those premierships, in the right scenario, I don't have a problem with that. But I think that... Cam Smith and Billy Slater have made some comments about this that have been absolutely ridiculous, um, saying that uh, for Billy Slater, for a start, uh, he's come out just a couple of days ago and said, do we just wipe players' careers? And that's just ridiculous to me because you can celebrate all those players' careers, including the ones in the two strip premiership years, without having to bring up replica jerseys and parade them around and talk about them like premierships that you've won. So... Yeah, to me, that's just stupid. And he also made the comment that uh, it's like if you walk past someone in the street with a haircut that you don't like or you don't need to tell them it's their haircut, they can do what they want. And unfortunately, like I like Billy, and I don't think it's meant to come across this way, and from Cam Smith either, I don't think it's meant to come across this way. But unfortunately, one of the things per se for me that I've got an issue with and I think that a lot of fans have the issue with is that there is a perceived arrogance at the storm. And it went from day dot when this all was uncovered. And it was all about very little accountability being taken and I just don't get it. Like when you're, I don't understand why you've got this anger or arrogance about it when basically the club cheated and it was unfair and it was what it's the worst cheating scandal that's happened in rugby league history. And it was over a five year period. I've heard all the, all the different arguments, but so other clubs have been over the cap. You know what? No one's been over the cap like that. There is a difference between a small accounting error that's a mistake or someone getting selected to origin that you didn't think and it triggered a bonus so they're over by $20,000 at the end of the year to millions and millions of dollars of systematic cheating over a five-year period. There was two sets of books. It was done on purpose and it was done at a huge, huge scale. The other thing brought up per so, well, they did win those games. No, they didn't. It's been stripped by the NRL. If you go and look it up, they did not win premierships those years. They do not have premierships those years. And you can't pretend that they do because then it just smacks in the face of the rest of the fan base of every other club and all the other clubs and all the other players in the league. Now, it might not have been the players' fault. That's fine. It still happened. And you can't say 
all these other teams are over the cap, which is the other thing that comes up personally, especially my Roosters. The Roosters are always over the cap. They've won plenty of proof. Prove it. It has not been proven. Prove that other teams are cheating, and I will treat them exactly the same as what the Storm were treated. What the Storm got was warranted. Uh, I'm not going to hold it against them today, and that'll be the last thing I'll finish on the rant perso. If you don't want it brought up and you don't want people like me to get angry about it, that aren't angry about it and weren't even thinking about what happened 12 years ago, then don't bring it up. There is ways to do this perso. If they wanted to celebrate those premierships and make replicate things and do it for fans and players and whatever, go and do it in a closed function. Don't do it and try and say, oh, it's just about the club and stuff. When you're doing it on the field before a game that is public out there in front of a fan base of the Parramatta Eels that are one of those sides that probably should have won that premiership that year in 2009 had the Storm not cheated. It is bad taste if it was my club, if it was my, if I managed the club, if I was a fan of the club, if I was a player of the club, I would be embarrassed to ever bring those years up. I would actually shut up and never speak about them again because it was so wrong what happened and I'd want to move forward and forget about it. Personally, I'm going to blow a gasket. I'll leave it to you. <laughs> well, that was the birthplace of where the storm hatred began, wasn't it? Prior to that, I don't think they had it anywhere near as much as they did, but then they became the most hated um, team in the league and maybe that's sort of turned around a bit in the last few years, but um, that certainly does no favours, does it? I mean, at the end of the day, it was a monumental <laughs> system in place that exceeding the salary cap. It wasn't a light decision by the NRL to strip them of the two premierships by any means. Like it's the, it's a, if you go to the NRL records and you look at the awards for those two years, it doesn't say Storm. It says not awarded for the premiership. So, I mean, that's it. They didn't win it. They got a strip from them. The scoreboard is still stay the same. The player stats from that year still count. Players' games and tries and every other record they have is still added to their career tallies of everything. So they haven't been stripped of all that. It's just the premiership as a club as a whole, they got stripped, fair and simple. So it is poor taste to be celebrating what they've won. It's sort of thumbing their um, nose in the, the face of the NRL, isn't it? I mean, they had to know what they were doing, Barnsley, surely. You have to. They had to, had to know it was going to generate a lot of publicity in the media. And that's one of the problems, right? Because you have to know that it's going to upset people. We have to know that it's going to generate all of this. But you've made the decision to do it, which basically says to all us other fans, we just don't care. And, you know, if that's your attitude, then, you know, it, it just shows a complete lack of respect for the game, complete lack of respect for everybody else and all the other clubs and for rugby league. And, you know, it's not the first time per se. We had maybe five, five years no. ago they had those jerseys that they did where everyone could purchase these yeah. jerseys and wear them at a game which listed all their premierships and the NRL actually were going to step in but didn't. The NRL should have stepped in. Cam Smith's talked quite openly for over a decade about how the playing group themselves still feel that they won. They won those premierships. So that, that's the attitude coming out of the club in their minds that, that despite cheating the salary cap, they still won the premiership. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for me. And it's again, it's it's really bad on Cam Smith as well. As someone who's meant to be a leader of the game and one of the best players ever and was the Australian captain for decades, that's one of the signs of some parts of his leadership that are really, really poor and really tone deaf. There's zero accountability in some of these statements. And that's the biggest thing. How you can go through that and have no accountability, like you know as well as I do, you might not do something wrong yourself, but if you're a part of it, especially in a football team, like you're not going to defend it. You're not going to say, oh, we don't deserve this. Or the... We could go on for days about this, but it is poor form 
shouldn't have happened the way it did. And it's not the worst thing in the world, but unfortunately for the storm, it is a litany of transgressions against what occurred over that five-year period after they were punished to just completely say across a 10-year period that there's no accountability and it's not accepted and it's not looked upon as the terrible thing that happened to the game that it actually was. Legend Rewind. We're going to do a McInnes tribute. McInnes made 81 tackles on the weekend. And it has to be said too, for those that are listening, you know, there's a couple of different stats that fly around. There's the official NRL stats and then there's the Fox Sports stats. So you would see different tackles thrown up on on graphics and stuff on Fox Sports because they count tackles differently than the NRL, which is a weird thing in itself, but we digress. Perso, some of the best tacklers or workhorses that we've seen in history to put the legend rewind on. There's been a few over the years in there, especially in the NRL period. But, uh, guys like Michael Lark and even Elijah Taylor, Jake Friend, where he was always upwards of 50 tackles a game. Dallas Johnson, probably one of the bigger ones that comes to the mind for such a, a smaller back rower. He was a massive workhorse. Nathan Hindmarsh, I mean, he cops a lot of flack, but a lot of his were flops, but geez, he got through some work, Hindmarsh. Who was your favourite one? God, probably going back, you know, guys like Gary Larson. He was an absolute workhorse. He was probably the initial workhorse, wasn't he? But I mean, there's been a fair few of them over the years. But to take it back to him, he was never a massive hitter or anything, but he just got through so much work. Yeah, I reckon Gary Larson would have been, I think you're right, I reckon he would have been one of the first prototypes of that back row workhorse tackler. Because before that, like if you had the, if you go into the 80s era and below, especially the 80s and the 70s, it was very much... Um, Big forwards just trying to build each other, sometimes ineffective and also, you know, going off for spells and stuff. They didn't have the motors. And if they didn't go off, they didn't have the motors to keep up that sort of work rate. Whereas Larson was someone that would come in and make 50 tackles a game as a back row and he wouldn't miss. And he hit hard, but he was also technically very sound. Uh, and it was he was probably one of the first ones. Um, I, I actually, I, I'm very partial to Nathan Hindmarsh. Uh, and I think that's, one of the things I love about Hindmarsh is he always had a good work rate, but he's almost got two different careers, which I think needs to be respected a lot more. The first half of his career, he's actually a very good attacking player and he ran the ball really well and had a lot of offloads and stuff. Especially the final third of his career, he actually changed his game where he was similar actually just a worker. Similar to Gordner in that way, wasn't he? Yeah, very, very similar. Very similar careers, actually. Um, but it, it's, not many players can do that per se. And Nathan Hindmarsh really changed the mould of his game from this attacking young tearaway back rower to this workhorse Gary Larson style back rower for the final third of his career, which he was very effective doing. He was very effective at both. So I loved Iron Marshall. And there was always that um, that Storm Grand Final, you know, we spoke about that, but he he almost won the Clive Churchill medal in that. I remember I had money on him and I thought he was going to get it in the losing side because he made 71 tackles in that Grand Final. Yeah, massive effort. He'd be the only player that's made over 70 tackles three or four times, let alone twice. Yeah, he's right up there. Um, and, I mean, I'm going to mention someone that you didn't mention. You you pretty much nailed most of them. We did a, we did a legend rewind on Trevor Gilmeister not long ago. Um, yeah. Really. But Sean Fensom, the fence. Yep. He was up there. He he was um he was a quintessential but, workhorse from when he came in. And consistent to over a long period of time until injuries got him at the end of his career. but. He was a sort of no-frills player. He'd just do his job. He'd make 50 tackles a game quite consistently. Always at the, t- the pointy end of um, 
the tackle count. I mean, the hookers are generally up there, but he was like next in line. That's for sure. Even though he wasn't right up there in the tackle counts, he still tackled very highly. And I'm just going to just throw in there that we did have some hybrid guys that uh, went through their careers with a massive work rate and also um, a lot of attacking prowess that overshadowed. One of my favourite defenders was actually Steve Menzies. And oh, yeah. Underrated for his work rate. Everyone remembers him for his try scoring ability, but he'd get up to 40 tackles a game most games. Yeah, he'd be in the 40s all the time and he'd hit the 50s occasionally as well. Um, he, he had all those tackles and he'd do it while he scored a hat trick as well. And his tackles as well, he's he's one of the best bootlace tacklers that I've ever seen where you just come in and, and snap a guy's ankles and just pull them together and bootlace them. It would be phenomenal. So I remember him and his stuff. We did have some hookers as well, per se. Um, the great uh, Penrith and Broncos hooker, Luke Prittis. He used to be a big tackler. Yeah. Matty Ballon's another one. Matty Ballon's a good one too. We've had a lot of good tacklers. Uh, big work rates, but McInnes has now put himself right up there as well with um, with that record. So congratulations to McInnes. Um, good to reminisce about some of the old big workhorses per se, and that is the podcast, mate. So thanks very much for jumping on. It was uh, nice, especially the few memory lane ones that we had there with some of those, uh, including the storm celebrations. It was nice to go back to 09. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fantastic digging up that crap again, isn't it? But you know, here we are. That's what they do. They must thrive on it, surely. They must. They know what's coming. They must thrive on it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it might be a little bit of um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to go back to. Or are they just they just that arrogant and blind? They don't even see it coming. I don't know. Anyway, we've had that combo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. We'll get you on again. No worries, Barzi. Anyone listening that wants to share it around. Download, stream, you can find us anywhere. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon. Also jump on Twitter or as it is now called X, NRL underscore SC underscore all stars. Picklebet.com, jump on there now. Our major sponsor and fantastic betting partner. They are great. You can go and create an account today and use our affiliate code all stars or one word when you sign up. We will have the Talk and Footy podcast back next week. We'll also have the Supercoach episode dropping on the Wednesday. Have a huge round of footy kicking off tonight for round 23. Enjoy all the rugby league you can. Try and watch all of it. And I can't wait to chat to everyone all about it again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get